Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 109, and we're going to be interviewing Dave D. How are you doing today, Dave? We're doing well, Jim, and yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited for this. So let's uh, yeah. let's get this party started. Tell me about yeah. growing up. Growing up, I'm one of five children. Um, I have a older sister, 12 years older, eight years older, and then my twin, who was a minute older, never let me forget it, and then a younger brother, who's almost two years younger than me. Identical twins? Uh, no, it can't be. No, my sister, so we're fraternal. Gotcha. Yeah, so growing up, they called us a middle-class family. I would say we were low-class, you know. The hand-me-downs, the usual stuff, um, the parties at the house. and uh, But growing up, there was violence in my house, and it would, a lot of people would think it was from the, the male figure, the father. It was the opposite. It was my mother being violent to my dad because my mom was a periodic alcoholic back then. My dad isn't, I would say he was an alcoholic, but he never proclaimed to be one, you know? So he took the brunt of her beatings and I mean beatings, you know? And I remember as a little kid getting, I mean, my mom tried to kill him a couple of times, you know? And us kids happened to jump in front of him to, to stop her from killing him. So, uh, but th that was short lived. That was for a couple of years. And then they just like cohabitated, you know? Um, the siblings, we all got along great. All me, my younger brother and all my sisters, we all got along fine. We never had a problem with anything. And then uh, school, you know, uh, was fine. Um, we were the superintendents of a building, so we didn't pay rent. You know what I mean? We yeah. had a, uh, an apartment upstairs in the building instead of the basement apartment. So that became, it was a full apartment. That became a hangout as kids. So we always had parties down there and stuff. Then my my dad, in his ultimate wisdom, he goes, oh, wait a minute. He goes, I can rent this shit out to the older guys and make money. So when the older guys took it over, of course, I snuck down and started hanging out with them. And that's where my journey began into addiction. Um, childhood, I mean, I don't know how far you want me to go with it, but uh, I think I was 14 years old when my um, mom decided in, in a drunken stupor to bring another man home while me and my brother and my father were home. Uh, my sisters, two of my sisters were there. My older sister had moved out. So, of course, me and my brother, we went ballistic. Baseball bats, BB guns, knives. We tried to beat the guy up. And kill him. <laughs> so, Dad had to jump into the rescue. And uh, long story short, mom left with him. And a couple of days later, she came back, got her stuff, and moved out with this guy and asked me who I wanted to live with. And I said, my dad. You know, he, he never he never cheated on you. He always came home, put the money on the table. He would go out one night on the weekend, blow some steam off, come home, get up the very next morning and do what he had to do. I didn't see anything wrong with that. You know, um, her, I seen everything wrong with it. When my mother made she rest in peace, you know. So that was at 14 and I was living with my dad and that's when schooling started going down because he was struggling. He, he wasn't very well educated. So I started cutting out of school and, and doing little odds and end jobs and working, delivering groceries and came to a point where at 16 where I said, the hell with it. I just quit school. You know, by the time I was 16 years old, I was a full blown drug addict and alcoholic and knew it. You know, where did it um, start? It's, it started, like I said, back when I was younger, when my dad rented out the, the apartment in the basement. Um, so I want to say at 12 years old, I started drinking for effect. You know, prior to that, when we had home parties and stuff, there was always alcohol. The family came around and they always thought it was cute. Give the kid a drink. So yeah. it goes way back to then. But I never 
that wasn't me making the conscious decision to say, yeah, I'm going to take this drink. But I guess, yeah, when you think about it from back in the day when I was a little kid and, and I got the taste of it, you know, from, from the adults giving it to me and I liked the way it felt. So finally at around 12, I said, the hell with it. I'm going to do this on my own. And, and that's what I did. And I was off to the races. Like I said, by the time I was 16 years old, I was a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic. I was work. I quit school. I was working in a restaurant business. I was working with my older sister, who's 12 years older than me. So I was hanging out with people 10, 12, 15, 20 years older than me. It was fully accepted. Drugs ran rampant. Uh, booze ran rampant. Hell, when I would go to work, they would ask me if I was high. I said, no. Well, have a couple of beers, go smoke a joint, do what you got to do. There's a couple of lines over on the slicing machine. Um, well, can you go get this and can you go get that? Because my brother was dealing then. So anything they wanted, I could get. So... Yeah, I had arrived at 16 years old, you know. Here oh, I am. <laughs> God, Jim. No, no, I was just saying that's what the the, uh, the term from the big book of Bill W. I had arrived. Yeah, I had arrived. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I guess that's where I get it from. I'm like, look at me. I'm the fucking big shot, you know. And it's yep. like, I'm like, okay. And I'm hanging out. Monday nights, the restaurant was closed. So most restaurant owners and bar owners, they would go out to other people's bars, you know, and restaurants and so I knew all the bar owners. They they all knew I was underage, but they didn't give a shit. Uh, and uh, and sixteen, but um, and it was fun. I'm not gonna lie, you know. Until it became not until it was not fun when I started blacking out and getting sick on myself and not knowing where the hell I was. And did I get home? Did I not get home? Um, I was waking up on people's lawns with the damn sprinklers coming on. That's what was <laughs> waking me up. You know, uh, sometimes I'd wake up, I was in the restaurant because I had the keys for it and the alarm code. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to get up and get myself ready and get the hell out of here if I'm not supposed to be here before they find out. Even though I was partying with the same people, the, the cooks, the, who were the owners, but I didn't think they would take too kindly to me using their restaurant and their boots as, as my bed. <laughs> from partying too hard. So yeah, that uh, 16, by the time I was 16, that, that was happened in my life. I loved it. I went with it until, like I said, I started blacking out, you know, and I'm like, Oh shit. I said, by this time, my mother was sober already. And my, uh, my sister was eight years older than I, I think she had like two years of sobriety. So AA and NA had been directed towards me, you know, the little pamphlets laying around or my sister would get a, the big book and leave it at my apartment or drop it off because I still live with my dad. I had to live with my dad because who the hell was paying the rent? Me at 16 years old. Really? Have you paying the rent? I was making more money at the age of 16 than my father was. Let me ask you a question. Did you have any type of social life? That was my social life, hanging out with people who were older than me in the restaurant business and, and getting high. Um, prior to that, in, in my early teens, 14 and stuff, 13, it was hanging out on the corner with my buddies, smoking weed, get, doing lines, drinking, um, bar hopping. I mean, at 14 years old, we had fake IDs and we were going to bars because uh, my dad was well known in the neighborhood. He knew a couple of the bar owners. And this one guy had a, a nightclub. He used to call it the upstairs lounge because it was upstairs from his bar. He didn't give a shit who he was. As long as you had an ID, he let you in. And he knew we were on the age. So that was my social life, hanging out and getting high with people like me. Um, if it wasn't in the bars and it wasn't on the corner, it was down in the park. You know, uh, I didn't live far from the park. We stopped hanging out in this one particular park because a lot of people ODing and dying. And uh, the police presence got to be too hot. So we shifted 
we shifted down a little down on the bicycle path that goes right over the uh probably i believe it was heroin there was a, a big heroin epidemic back then you see i'm 58 years old so we're talking 14 you're talking 44 years ago so there, there was a they were holding and then dropping like flies in, in a, a park called excuse me Al's head park and that's where we were hanging out so we shifted and went to shore road park and the cops would drive by because it's a, a wide bicycle path and walking path and then you had a jogging path and they didn't bother us because we would have garbage bags and everything set up. We weren't making a bunch of noise. We had our radio playing and shit. And it's, you guys good? Yeah, we're good. Nobody's bothering us. We're going to clean up. We'll make sure we take our trash with us. We'll put it in an appropriate place. They said, okay, good. Never bothered us. That, that's the way it was with me growing up. You know, now if a cop told you and you were hanging out on the corner, if a cop told you to move and you didn't move, you would get your ass beat. That's how I grew up back then. Um, Emotions and feelings, you never talked about in the family. It was always, you never told nobody, you know, and, and you didn't even really talk about it at home. So I'm like, that that's, that was another thing. Okay, the, uh, I got all this shit going on inside of me. What do I do with it? Well, the, the, the alcohol and the drugs help suppress that and make it go away and make me feel better. So that, that was another point behind the drinking and the drugging. Plus, I, I, I seen it growing up constantly yeah it was self-medicating i hear and, uh, a little bit of an echo uh, are you getting an echo a little bit i think it's better uh, now okay uh yeah I, I you could i didn't realize it at the time but yeah it was self-medicating because I, I had a lot of that trauma you know what my what my mom beat my dad and then then her leaving you know and then now it's just me my dad and my younger brother and I'm like, oh crap, and now I gotta become the breadwinner, you know? It's like, hmm. so yeah, suppressing the feelings, suppressing emotions, using drugs and alcohol, um, playing the big shot. I guess wearing a mask, tr trying to hide who I knew I was and pretending to be somebody I wasn't, like this big shot drug dealer and look at me, I work in a restaurant, I make all kinds of good money, I'm hanging out with people older than me. You know, so yeah, way back then, now that you mention it, they're, they're self-medicating and, and also to, 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 uh, to pretend to be somebody that I wasn't, you know, uh, that, that was childhood, you know, by the time I was 17 years old, it got so bad that um, I said, I got to do something about it. Uh, <laughs> my ultimate wisdom, I seen the commercials, we'll make a man out of you, join the army. So my dumbass joined the army. Um, I asked my dad to sign me up because I was 17 and uh, came out that he couldn't because he was my stepdad. Um, I had to go to my mom's. Mom's sober now. I didn't really want to go and see her because, like I said, she left at 14. Uh, but she finally signed the papers because the man she was dating and living with, he, he used to be a lieutenant in the, in the army. And he said it'll be good for him. And he was sober too. So he convinced her to sign the papers and off to the military I went. Did that for four years, the two years in the reserves. But in the military, um, I remembered why I went in there. And I said, well, through basic training in school, you really can't do shit. You don't have any privileges. You can't get high. You can't get drunk. So I, I didn't really have severe bad withdrawals because I, I started weaning myself off before I knew my ship out date when I was going to go away. Um, I have what they call a one-station unit training, so I didn't get to go to basic training in one spot and then move to go to schooling in another. I just stayed in Bunkfuck, Georgia, on one base in the same barracks. After we got halfway through our schooling, 
they gave you drinking privileges. You can go out on Friday night and get two beers. I'm like, what's two beers going to do for me? Well, when you haven't drank for like two months, two beers got me loaded. Uh, once I, I graduated schooling, got my duty assignment, the weekends were mine, you know, and I was off to the races again. I got, got in a little bit of trouble. They, they, they give you a fine, like a summons that we would know in civilian life. It's called an Article 15. I got a few of them where they take some of your money out of your pay. You get put on restrictive duty and shit like that. So I said, all right. So for the most part, I, I skated through for four years in the military. Like, I guess you'd call it socially drinking and stuff. The drug and I didn't delve into too much because I never knew when you were going to get piss tested or whatever. Smoke pot, like it was going out of style. That seemed to be prevalent in the military. Um, I don't know why, but it just was when I was there. You can get anything else you want it. And I found out where you get it. You get it from the cooks because when the deliveries come in, I guess the trucks don't get searched on the base of some shit or they hide in food. I don't know. But anything you wanted, you just go see the cooks and you would get it. So, of course, I would volunteer to go work with the cooks. Um, a few times I got loaded, you know, on coke and, and, uh, and weed and drinking. Never got in trouble because they always covered for me. Got out of there, I'm 21 years old, and I, where did I come? Straight back home to Brooklyn to dad and my brother. Now I'm of legal age to drink, <laughs> but the bars think I'm four years older than that already. And came home in military uniform, thinking I got a bunch of money that I sent home for dad. Nope, he spent it all. Uh, but the money I had in my pocket, I went out and blew it in two nights. What did he spend it on? Hulk, booze, pot. You name it, I did it. Uh, no, no, what did your dad spend the money on? Oh, I guess bills and probably drinking and food. Like I said, he, my dad, I think, had a sixth grade education. And my dad only was a right amputee from about here down, so he had this little stump. So he, he had very menial jobs, security job, mailroom clerk, things like that, um, superintendent of buildings, taking care of buildings, throwing garbage out, cleaning them, changing fuses, stuff like that. He was always a worker, though. He, I mean, if he had to do two or three jobs to put the money on the table to put the food in our mouths, he did. Um, by the time, uh, like I said, when I, when I quit school at 16 years old, he told me your ass is going out to work. You're not just going to quit school and sit at home. So now you, you want to be a man? You're going to be a man. You got responsibilities. You have to help pay the bills. So uh, I guess he got used to that, you know, and he's. He just stayed in the one job as, as a security guard. And like I said, at 16, I was making more money than he was. You know, 16 years old, I was freaking 42 years ago. I think I was bringing home $350 a week. That's a lot of money for back then. Um, and it's cash money, you know. Uh, so that, yeah, that, that's what happened between me and Pops. And then um, Pops got sick. Uh, he, he had a, a grandma seizure. He almost died. Um, so... He was in the hospital for quite a while, brought him home. Now I got to be a caretaker. Now he can't work. Now he's on disability. Um, my younger brother, who's his son, his fourth son, he didn't want to have any responsibility. So all the power of attorney and everything got signed over to me. So now I'm the adult. I got to take care of my father and my brother and work. So that's what I did uh, after I got back from the military. Um, is That's when he got sick when I got back from the military. Um, I, I landed this very good job of private sanitation. <laughs> and I was making like $800 a week then at 23, 23 years old, 24 years old. And I'm like, holy shit, okay, great. Um, 
the guy that was training me to drive a truck, I'm like, what are you going to train me to drive a truck? I just got out of the military a couple of years ago. I never drive tanks. I can drive a truck. But he said it's different. So he took, he always drank. He had a five-gallon bucket in between our seats for ice water and ice. And he kept his Miller lights in there. And he'd have one. I'm hanging off in the back of a garbage truck with a bullet snorting coke, smoking pot, and drinking and swinging garbage into the back of a truck in Manhattan, of all places, six nights a week. There's nightlife going on. I'm like, man, I'm missing out. But uh, we would breeze through our route to get it done so we could go sit in the bar up on 56th Street and 7th Avenue and drink. And that's what we did. Um, that job lasted for a year or two or whatever. I can't remember because I'm getting old. <laughs> um, I remember I was driving then and I had a, a temp worker came in and he lived in Brooklyn somewhere and I supposedly dropped him off because I went into a blackout. I didn't remember. And mind you, this truck weighs 40,000 pounds empty. One, the heaviest I ever weighed when I went across the scales into the dumps, the city dumps, was um, 40, 41 tons, which is 82,000 pounds. So if I hit you with this truck, good chances I was going to kill you. Especially, I mean, I was going to crush a car, which I have done. I crushed the car. He decided to stop short in front of me in a snowstorm. I couldn't stop. I put his trunk into his back seat. Um, I didn't get in trouble for that. And I was high. I had just smoked a joint. And I found it funny. I just, I don't know, weed for some reason made me laugh. I busted out laughing. I got out of the truck, made sure he was okay. He was fine. The cops came. They arrested him, not me. He had no license, no insurance. He was driving car service. He had improper plates. I'm like, mm, okay, got away with that again. Um, got away with a lot of things, brother. A, a lot, a lot of things. Because I had a, a lot of family on the police force too. But all of that came to an end when I was 24 years old. Give us uh, a few more examples. Uh, give us a few more examples of shit you got. Like, you know, you would... Oh, yeah. Yep, like, yeah. Okay. With the, the private sanitation, I, I like I said, I would drive that truck constantly empty. There, there used to be a dump here in Brooklyn up on Fountain Avenue, that close. And then they opened one in Staten Island. Now, you got to remember, I'm in Midtown Manhattan. I get in this truck behind the wheel, and I'm driving from Midtown Manhattan to Staten Island. This is back when they had the tolls. They used to give us this thing. Look, it was a, like a... It was a ticket that you paid your toll with. It had the amount on it um, instead of us having to pay cash. And that's when I would come out of my blackout, when I was leaning down out of my truck to hand the toll keeper the thing. And I used to have a pull off, pull off and I would pull off and make believe I was stretching. And actually, I was walking around my truck to see if I hit anything. Hmm. Um, pulling into the dump one time, I think I either, I either nodded off or fell asleep uh, or blacked out. And I rammed right in the back of a garbage truck. Thank God I was only going like five miles an hour, so I didn't do any damage to the truck. So I got away with that. The guy said, don't worry about it. it happens. We work long hours. Yeah, I know you're tired. Relax. I said, okay. He said, I'll say I backed into you. I said, okay, great. Um, prior to working with them, I used to deliver appliances. And, and I was stealing the appliances and selling them off of the truck. I got away with that. Uh, I was, I, I became a dealer. I was uh, dealing drugs. Um, I don't know, I had probably about an ounce of Coke with me. I had a 380 automatic in my waistband. I was driving one of these, uh, like U-Haul trucks, you know, that's got like a van front and the box in the back. And I forgot my bumpers stuck out a lot more wider than what the actual truck body was. And I was trying to go through a double park car, I ended up hitting the car. Somebody seeing me. And I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it's in giant letters across the side of the truck. So it wasn't hard for them to find me. The cops pulled me over. I'm sniffing. 
Uh, I'm stuffing the stuff under the seat, putting the gun in the glove box. And they had the woman in, who owned the car in the car with them, and she came out, and they asked me for my license and everything. And then she sees my last name, and she goes, wait a minute. She goes, is your sister so-and-so? I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, fuck. She goes, forget it. She goes, I, she goes, will you take care of this? I said, yeah, go get a couple of quotes, and I'll take care of it. Got away with that. Didn't get drug tested, didn't get locked up, didn't get no summonses, nothing. Um, what I didn't get away with, uh, constantly when I, I own my car driving like that, always driving high in stone, you know, not hitting any. Thank God I never killed anybody because I could have, because I, I mean, it's obvious from what I just said to you, driving this, this sanitation truck, driving delivery trucks, I always smashed that in my mind, never thinking about somebody else's safety. And luckily, the only things that ever hit were cars or, or, or another truck, as I said, and nobody ever got hurt. So I escaped that. And I'm like, okay, good. You know, it, I guess if I had repercussions, you know, or I had to go to jail or something, maybe that would help. Um, and I say that just for those instances, because at 24 years old, I did go to jail. Um Working at a private sanitation job, I got in a fight with my then girlfriend, and I said, screw this, I'm going to go to the bar, have a couple of drinks, get some coke, do some, because I stopped dealing then. Um, she had coke on us, so I got coke, and we're partying, and I lost track of time, and I'm like, fuck it, now I'm not going to work. The bar got raided by the Brooklyn South Narcotics team. None of them had their badges out. We're hanging out in a biker bar, so big brawls broke out. I was bending down to plug the dartboard, the, the wire for the dartboard, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see my then girlfriend get smashed into a wall, thrown into a wall. We thought she was pregnant. She thought she was pregnant. So my natural instant is to come up swinging. I got thrown into a wall three times. <laughs> After the third time, and I bounced back, and I'm trying to fight, and I just kept getting thrown back into that same wall. Finally, after the third time, it registered me. Maybe you want to look over your shoulder before you jump off this wall again. This big, huge cop. He goes, you get the point? I said, yeah, I get it now. Get handcuffed, get locked up. My girlfriend goes, I, I got a half a gram of coke on me. And she used to wrap it in a tissue that she would blow her nose. And I said, that's disgusting. <laughs> but if a female cop detective searched her and she goes, oh, that's disgusting. Why do you keep that in your pocket? So they put us in the car. I said, give me the freaking shit. Because she could reach into her back pocket. I said, give it to me. Don't stick it in the seat. They're going to search the car. What does she do? Sticks it in the seat. So she got charged. With, we all got charged with possession. The guy, they, uh, the other guy that got arrested with us was, was the guy I used to deal for. They wanted him. And the reason they arrested us was to try and get to him. They wanted me to roll over on. I wasn't going to do that. Um, I, was, I finally made bail three days later. They told me they were going to release her at the police station. They didn't. Um, and the, the reason I know that I was sitting in, in, the, in the, the bullpens up on the court floors and across the way, I hear some, some girl yelling because they keep all females in one cell, all guys in another. I think that's your man. I think that's your man. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, you know, you got to get like hardened everything because you're locked up. I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, I think you're old ladies in here. I said, who? So let me see her. Get her over. Get her to the gate. That's what we used to say. Come to the gate. So, and it's her. So now I'm really fuming. Um, long story short, they finally are order, but she had to, had to get held over for two days. She had to go through the system, and they told me they were going to ROR her from the precinct. 
and they didn't. Um, to back up, because uh, I forgot this point, uh, one of the detectives, I don't know what I said to him or what I did to him, but he beat the living shit out of me while I was handcuffed. Um, sergeant came in, took the handcuffs off me, and he said, okay, now put your badge down, because he wrapped, he put his badge on his hand and wrapped the chain around it that they wear around, and he punched me with that, and my smart remark was good, now I got your number tattooed under my head. Um, figured all the while my family's going to help me, but when I got handcuffed and got taken out of that bar, my cousin was standing there, and he said, don't mention nobody in the family, we can't help you anymore. I'm like, okay, the gig is up. So long story short, me and this cop have a fight. I get my blows in, I get even, go to the court thing. She gets released, I have to make bail. She didn't have enough money, she calls my mother. I'm like, oh God, of all people you call, you call my mother <laughs> for like 50 bucks. Um, so she got it, my mother picks us up and she's driving us home, she's you're coming home with me. I'm like, no, I'm not. And what's the first thing we did when I got out? I got loaded. We stopped. Well, we had my mother drop us off. We went up the house. We had money stashed in the house. Called the dealer. He came over, dropped shit off. I, I walked down to the liquor store, got what she wanted, got some vodka for myself. And, and we partied, her and I. Uh, that went on for a while. Uh, the guy, the, the drug dealer that I got arrested with, they wanted him bad. Um, his brother had gotten shot two weeks earlier. Uh, got, got in a, a mess with the Colombians. I don't know the whole story. Thank God I wasn't with him. I was supposed to be with him because I'd probably be dead. So they were trying to put the two cases together. So this guy got arrested with, he said, if you rat on me, I said, yeah, I know if I rat on me, I'm dead. You're going to kill my family. I was thinking about my pops, you know, because he already had the, the seizure and then wasn't in his right mind. Thinking about my brother. Um, so I said, I'm not going to roll over on you. Well, you're facing a lot. Yeah, I know I'm facing a lot of time. For first offense, eight and a third to 25. I said, eight and a third to 15. You're out of your mind. They were charging me everything they were charging him with because when they caught him, he was loaded up with shit and plus a weapon. Long story short, uh, I made the bail. He's out too a couple of days later. My cousin that was standing outside that bar is working undercover now with the narcotics guys. And he said, don't go near him. We're going to get him. He says, and you better warn him that I'm coming after him. So that's exactly what I did. I, went, I warned him. I said, look, they're coming after you, bro. And I got nothing to do with it. This is my family telling me they can't help me no more, and they want you. And I'm not rolling over. They rearrested him. So my lawyer tried to separate the cases. It wouldn't happen. Went to court for about a year. Um, and in court, I kept seeing above that the judge's head, in God we trust, in God we trust. And I'm like, crap. And my mother said, but for the grace of God, but for the, and I'm like, where the hell are you getting but for the grace of God? She said, in God we trust. She was getting it from AA. <laughs> I didn't realize that. So I said, you know, in October, October the 9th, 1988, was the first time I was introduced to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, because I kept seeing in God we trust. My mother kept saying, but for the grace of God. I was still partying, and I, I went right back down to the depths. I mean, to the, the nitty-gritty. I didn't give a shit, you know, partying. Didn't care that I was facing time. Didn't care that I was going to court. I need to keep my nose clean and stay out of trouble. Got so bad one night that I tried to commit suicide, and I ended up in the nut house, um, and I was put on a suicide watch for 72 hours. 
Um, I, I couldn't be part of the community and go eat with them in the lunchroom or anything like that, as say in the lockdown ward. And they had this big, giant freaking board on the wall of activities. You didn't do nothing. And I seen it Wednesday nights, I think it was, AA meeting. And then I think a couple of nights later or earlier, there was an NA meeting, but NA couldn't show up. I guess the H&R committee, I don't know, either forgot or couldn't get in there or whatever. But the AA meeting showed up. So I said, oh, good, I can go to the AA meeting and sit there, get coffee, cookies, <laughs> smoke to my heart's content. Did that, and uh, that's where I met my first sponsor. Because I kept having that, I kept seeing in my head, in my mind's eye, but for the grace of God, and I kept hearing my mother, I kept seeing in my mind's eye, uh, in God we trust, and hearing my mother say, but for the grace of God, and here AA comes in, and I'm like, okay, uh, you got me. So, then my 10 days in there, I got out, and I started going to AA. Uh, my girlfriend soon followed, she followed with me and we were still living together. Things were going okay. She went back out. Um, and so we separated. That didn't work. She chose she, the party in life. She wanted to keep partying. She wasn't in any legal trouble. I was still going to court. I stayed sober 19 months the first time. Uh, at the 14 month mark, it was December the 20th, 1989. I was at, I had gotten a new girlfriend that was in the program. It was her first year anniversary. I had uh, 14 months then. I was her last speaker. And she said, I want to introduce Dave. And she did. I said, my name's David. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And my mother just died. Now, everybody knew my mother in that room. You could hear a pin drop. And I said, but this is right where she will want me to be. And I proceeded to tell my story. And my girlfriend came up to me and her parents, and I said, just take me home. I said, my mother died. Now, nobody called me. Nobody paged me or nothing. I just knew. And, of course, my mother died. Um, I buried my mother. I didn't, again, I didn't deal with the emotions. So, like I said, I don't know how I lasted five months after that. I hated everybody in AA, hated everybody in NA because you're all a bunch of damn liars. Couldn't stand God because where was he? He, he didn't save my mother. So I rebelled against everybody and I, I slowly stopped going to meetings and I went back out and I tried uh, drinking again. And one night, I, one day I went out, I bought a six pack of tall boys and I, I had a, a muscle pull or something. So they gave me 800 milligram mulchins. It's, there's muscle relaxers. I said, ooh, my heart's a muscle. If I take enough of these, I drink a couple of beers, I'll go to sleep and it'll stop my heart. Now all that did was make me sick as a dog. Um, I woke up the next morning and my girlfriend, who was still sober, we had made a pact. If any one of us drink, we'll separate. She's packing the stuff and moving out of my place. So crying boo-hoo, help her move out, go to a meeting that night. Uh, I got a new sponsor from that guy that I met in the, in the I, call, I like to call it Hotel Silly, the nut house. That, that's my, that's my affectionate name for it, Hotel Silly. So I, cause this guy was great. And he would, may he rest in peace. You won't mind me saying his name, Frankie, bro. He's a little short dude. Used to wear his hat sideways. He was a bebop guy. This guy knew where there was a party every weekend, man, a sober party. And that's what we did for the first year. And I'm like, but what are these 12 step things? He, yeah, I don't worry about that. He was showing me that there is life after not drinking. I said, okay, that's fine and well, but, uh, my mom passed away. I got a new sponsor. Uh, and I, I got rid of him. And like I said, then I went out and drank. So I already had the new sponsor. When I came back the very next day after I drank and I, 
thought I tried it. To me, it's an attempt to suicide because I swallowed a bunch of damn pills. Yeah, I thought they were going to kill me. In my mind, I thought the Motrin being a muscle relaxer would stop my heart, but it didn't. Um, came back, I'm sitting there in the clubhouse with my head down like this, and he goes, what's the matter? I said, well, I drank. I got one day back. He goes, stand up. I stand up. He goes, turn around. I turn around. I thought he wanted me to look at the steps or something or the slogans on the wall. He proceeded to kick me in my ass. Turn around. I said, what the hell is that for, Tony? He goes, when are you going to do the fourth step? When are you going to take a good, hard, honest look at yourself and what your fears are? The the whole nine, you know what I mean? Write it down and, and let's get this done. He says, otherwise, you're going to keep suffering. He goes, and you're going to keep going back out. He goes, and one day you may not make it back. So I said, you know what? You got a point. And it scared me a little. I said, all right. So I said, all right, let's sit down. We got the book. I did stupid columns. I wrote down the fears, the sex, the this, the that, the other thing. Um, and I was like, a book long. He goes, no, 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 condense it. So I did. I'm there the whole day. Good eight hours writing this thing down. Finally, he goes, okay, you done? I said, yeah. He goes, let me see it. He breathes it through it. He reads it from what was 12 pages. I think I got it down to three. A lot of it was about me. I, I, some of it I pointed to blame. And he said, no, that don't count. I'm like, shit. Because you're the fault. Everybody else is the fault for what I'm going through. And then he goes, nope, that don't count. It's just about your errors, your, your wrongs. I said, okay, that's the way he taught me. It's okay. He says, so are you ready to do your fifth step? I said, no, what the hell? Are you? I'm not admitting to you in the garden. No, I already know what my problems are. It was hard enough for me to write them down. So that's as far as I'm going with the fifth step. He goes, well, I just read your fourth step. So you admitted it to another human being, you idiot. He goes, what are you going to do about God? I said, well, God's all knowing. Then he already knows. So I don't have to do nothing. He goes, no, 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 you got to do something. So I said, okay. I, I, I know, see, people in recovery, they, they, they confuse spirituality and religion. And it's completely different for me. You know, spirituality is a feeling for me and what makes me happy and a belief in knowing that I can accomplish something. Religion is a set structured thing that, that you have to follow. Almost like the program, you're supposed to follow the program, but they have their own rules, their own regulations. Some religions have, uh, you got to go and do confession. My religion happened to be that I had to confess. So that's why he kept getting on me about the God thing. And I said, okay. So I went I, and I confessed to a priest, did my penance, did my prayers, and I was okay for a while. You know? And so I don't know what set me off nine months later or something, whatever. Now, let me see. The first time I had 19 months, then I had a year and a half. That's when I went out. I was sober this time, a year and a half. And I went out and I just went off to the races again. I went out five times in the first six years of my recovery. But I kept coming back. I don't know why. I guess because it was ingrained in my head. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. They said that at every meeting. And I knew that I really didn't want to drink. I half measured that fourth step. I didn't tell the whole truth. You know, so I, I did, the last time I came back, my sober date is April 16th of 1994. Prior to that, I had already started therapy. And I was working on my issues from a child. I, I never resolved them and never understood them. And I, I don't know if that's the reason why I kept drinking, because whenever that fear would come up, if I recall correctly in this crazy head of mine, that's when I would go back out and drink to suppress, because I didn't want to deal with them. So for me, the, the book tells me to go out and get outside help. So that's what I did. I went out and I was in therapy. I still drank again. And this time I came back, like I said, uh, April 16th of 94. I redid my fourth step. 
Um, and he goes, it's about time you're getting honest. Same sponsor, never left me. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, you think I didn't know? <laughs> I'm like, okay. He knew. I said, then why didn't you say something? He goes, because I didn't want to scare you away. I said, okay. I, I just, he said, just put down what you left out in the first one. Don't do the whole thing all over again. I said, okay. So I did that. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And that was that. And, and I've been sober ever since, you know. Um, can I say life's been easy? Uh, no. Uh, has it been all peaches and cream? No. Has there been good times? Yeah. Has there been a lot of good Has there been bad times? Yeah. Three twice in sobriety. I've been divorced twice in sobriety. Um, I have a daughter who's 23 years old. She's never seen me drunk or high. That's one of the good things. The marriages were good things too. I, I can't look at them negatively. They taught me something. They taught me a lesson. You know, uh, do I wish them well? Yes. Um, the, uh, the other bad thing... The, the other thing I learned in sobriety is when my mom passed away at her, her wake, I couldn't turn around and not see somebody that wasn't in recovery. It totally blew me away. I was like, what the fuck? Where are you going? Where are you going? Everybody's worrying about me. I'm going to go outside and have a cigarette. Where am I going? I'm okay. My girlfriend was there, our family. But I mean, my mother knew a lot of people. When she passed away, she was nine years sober. And like I said, I had the 19, uh, whatever the hell I had, uh, yeah, I remember 19, whatever it was. Um, and my girlfriend had the year, so it's like, and I didn't learn from that, that people were genuinely there for me and cared for me in the program, irregardless of religion, color, creed, anything. They were just there for me because they knew I was hurting and they were concerned if I was going to drink a drug. I didn't grasp that that concept. I didn't grasp it. And that's why I drank a couple other times. I, I also in, in my recovery and, and then a couple of, and then those first six years of going in and out started going back to my God, who, who my child, I don't want to say my childhood God, because I, I went and searched out different religions. I searched out Buddhism, I, you name it. I went Pentecostal, Lutheran churches, Christian churches, born again Christian churches. And I can get down with some of the Buddhist stuff because I took martial arts up. I understand it. I, and I went, something just kept telling me that this isn't for you. So I went back to my childhood religion, which is Catholicism. Um, and, and it worked. It's, it's worked for all of these years up until now. Uh, and, and through that, I, I made an amends with my higher power, who I choose to call God. And not everybody believes in a God. Whatever your concept is, that's great. Whatever keeps you sober, I'm all for it. You know, you don't believe in God? Okay, you don't believe in God. Um, I'm not here to argue with you. You know, I, I'm here to try and support you through your, your journey, your recovery journey. This is why I do things like this podcast. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Everything's about, with me, it's spirituality, not religion, spirituality, and recovery. I recover out loud, so hopefully somebody doesn't have to die in silence you know, and not hear the word. Um, because when I was out there for many years, like I said, blacking out and stuff, I, I left one part out. I chose to become homeless. I chose to become homeless. Not that my disease led me to be homeless. I, I guess in my mind it did. You're going to miss something. I had a home to go to. But no, I had to stay out on the streets because I was going to miss something. And I'd eaten out of go. What do you mean miss something? Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean you thought you were going to miss something? I'm, I'm going to miss the action. I'm going to, uh, I was dealing drugs then. I, 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 I went from a, a high-profile drug dealer to a street corner dealer, sticking my head in cars, and I said I would never do that. 
just to make the next deal so I can get my next fix. You know, my, my next bag of freaking Coke or my next, my, my, whatever, my next pill, whatever the hell it was that I could get that was going to make me not feel what the hell, what I was feeling at that moment. Or, or I was going to miss the action of somebody else saying, hey, Dave, let's go hang out. Let's go get a couple of drinks and I can drink for free or get high for free. Just something in my mind said to me, you're going to miss something. Whatever that something was. Sometimes I didn't know what it was. I'm like, what the hell? Are you, what are you missing? You're living in the freaking back of a pickup truck on a mattress, man. What are you missing when you got a home to go to? That's the mentality. That's the insidiousness of the disease. Um, I never stuck a needle on my arm, but out there, I said, oh, shit, that, that's another thing I'm going to miss, helping somebody get high. Because they, they're shaking so bad, they can't even get a vein. Now, give me the freaking thing. And I started shooting people up. And once I got it in their vein, they were fine. Oh, I got it. Boop. And it's a whole new science for them. And I started watching them. And I'm like, wow. And I started getting attracted to it. And I said, no. Nah. I said, I'll stay the snorting the shit. I'm not putting a needle on my arm. Because like I said, when I was a kid, I seen the overdoses in the park. So that, that, that's the only thing I really didn't do. Because it scared the shit out of me. I, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'll snort a line. Because every time I snorted a line, a dope, a heroin, I got sick as a dog. So I knew to do a little line. <laughs> so I didn't waste it get sick, and then I was good to go. I could snort the rest of it. And the reason I snorted heroin was to come down off a day long, a weekend long, three days, four day long, sometimes even longer binges of being out. I was a massive cokehead, man. You know, and I couldn't come down. Uh, 24, 48, 60-something hours, it's like, whoa, I, I got to come down. I'm do dope. What else is going to get me now? Because the quaaludes weren't helping the, 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 none of the downers were helping. None of that shit was helping. Um, so heroin, mm, boop, took, took, took the edge right off. I was like, okay, good. So, and, and that, that's back then, you know, and, and to go out there, I, there's, a, there's a guy on Instagram and he said it and I identify with it totally, totally. He said the craziest thing he's ever done in recovery is being a sober mind and making the decision to go back out. And I went, holy shit, that's me. I did it five times. I consciously made this decision, said, F it. I'm going back to that way because it's better. Life wasn't really that bad. It was just that I made it to be that bad in my head, you know? I mean, how bad can it be when you got a clean bed to sleep in? You got food in the refrigerator. You got heat in the winter, air conditioner in the summer. No, let's go back out and get high and go live on the street. That's the mentality behind drug addiction and alcoholism. For me, it is anyway. Um, isn't, that crazy, isn't that crazy how our brains work? It's unbelievable that it, uh, how it messes the chemistry in the brain up. And it's just, it makes you make, oh my God, the irrational decisions we make. Unbelievable decisions, crazy decisions. I, I mean, like I said, life's not that bad. I got air conditioning in the summer. I got a clean bed. I got food. I got this. I got that. But let me go back out and get high. And now that I've gotten high, then the suicidal thoughts come in. How is that rational? Well, now, because now life's so bad, because now you're coming down off of whatever you got high on. So, what you want, the reason or the reasons you thought it was so bad that you went back out to drink a drug in the first place, they get compounded and worse in your mind. 
So, well, fuck it. Let me kill myself. That's insanity. If that's not insanity, I don't know what is. So a lot of people in recovery, I tell them, don't forget. It's threefold. They say physical, mental, and spiritual. A lot of people don't want to talk about the mental. We suffer from mental problems. I don't care what you say. That's my belief. It chemically imbalanced my brain. Who wants to, in their right mind, constantly go out, get drunk, or get loaded, and want to take their life or, or, or throw everything away they had? I've had I had life by the, the balls. I had, you know what I mean? I had the house, the cars, the, the everything, the good job. But no, let me go back out and get high. Now I lose the job. Now I can't afford to keep the house anymore. Now I lose the house. Now I can't make the car payments and lose everything that I worked to get in sobriety. That's why there's a saying, somebody said it to me one time, don't let what you get in sobriety get you drunk. And I understand it now because I got all the things I wanted. Now I've arrived yet again, just like I thought when I was out there. Now I've arrived in sobriety. Look at me, look how good I'm doing. I really don't need to go to these meetings. Ah, Now it's online, the podcast like we do now with the Zoom. Makes it even a whole lot easier. You ain't even got to leave your house. So what's the excuse? Uh, you, you mentioned COVID in, in the beginning before we started. And this is how I got introduced to this. A whole new world of living for me and, and way of recovery. It's amazing to me. For, for an old guy like me, they, they call me an old timer, long timer, whatever you want to call OG. Like it's a little over 28 years of clean and sober time. But I tell people, don't get stuck on that. And yeah, but you... No, I don't know everything. I really don't. <laughs> Trust me. I can say that today. If you asked me years ago or when I was active, oh, I tell you, I know everything. I don't know everything today. I know what's worked for me. That's what I can share with you. If there's some other type of problem you're suffering from that I don't know how to deal with, I will find out where you need to go get the help, and I'll direct you to that. That's what I do in recovery today. You know, The complete opposite of what I did and my mind frame of let's go out and get high. I, I pray to God that I'll never do that again because then I am sacrificing possibly somebody else's life. And people go, well, what do you mean? Because I'm in recovery, they call me a power of example because I got all this time. No, I have today. But yeah, okay, if you want to use my time as an example, fine. Yes, you can too achieve that. You can achieve that time a day at a time. We're only promised today. That's all I got is today. Yes, I put a bunch of them together to, to equivalent to 28 plus years. Okay. You want to use that as, as an example? Great. Fine. But just in that way, don't put me on no pedestal because I've done that in recovery. I put people on pedestals and then they fall and, and now, oh God, now what? My idol is falling. You know, now what do I do? Now I'm crushed. Now I'm defeated again. My idol broke themselves and, and went back out. So, well, I might, misery loves company. I might as well join them. I don't do that. And I tell people don't do that with me. You know, because uh, I'm no better or worse than you are. We're all equal in recovery. You may have gone through certain things that I haven't. I may have done certain things or gone through certain things that you haven't done. That doesn't make me any better or worse than you and vice versa. You know, the, the bottom line is, is why did you do it? Why? Something inside of you, a feeling, a thought, an emotion, told you that that was a good thing to do. I've been through it many times in my life. 
my, I, I've been sober longer than, than me getting high. Because like I said, I, I started getting high and drunk at 12. I first got sober at 24. So if you want to add another six years onto that, that's, eight, that's 18 years. I surpassed the 18 years of getting high by staying sober. People go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. But a day at a time, it's amazing. And how do I do that? By talking to other people. People say, oh, well, you got all this much time. You must have all this wisdom. I said, you know who I learned from the most? The people who are brand new. Because they're real. Their emotions, their feelings, they're still raw. I can forget because I'm so far removed what it was like, what those feelings were like. Because I have tools today to learn how to work with them that life's not that bad today that those feelings don't get that bad. You know what I mean? It's not like a scab I want to pick off. These people are coming in and they're still picking the scabs off, so to speak, to use it as an analogy. And I sit and I listen intently and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's what's waiting for me. And how can I be of service? How can I help this person? By telling them it does get better. Well, how does it get better? Because you get better. I used to go to this beginner's meeting for a long time and I used to keep saying, it gets better. And I used to say, what the hell is it? I thought it was life and everything else. No, I'm it. I get better. I learned how to deal with those emotions and those feelings and those, and those insane thoughts. And once I learn how to do that and I learn how to stay sober to it, then life does get better. If I apply what I've learned and I apply myself to want to do better, if I just sit there and say, yeah, I'm sober, ain't shit going to happen around me because nobody's going to come and hand it to me. It takes work. You know, it just takes work. Uh, I never want to go back to that. Like I said, I mean, the, the face in the jail, the institutions, the hospitalizations, um, and I buried way too many people in sobriety, man. Uh, I, I, I helped this girl a little over a year ago get sober. Uh, and she go, and she gives me all the praise for it. I said, I didn't do nothing. I came and I picked your drunk ass up, put you in the car, got you to a place to get a COVID test, took off for work the next day, drove all the hell around trying to find a detox and rehab for you, finally found one, you decided to go. She goes, huh? You decided to go. Not me. You asked me, do you think I need to go? Take a look in the mirror. Yeah, you need to go. I'm going to tell you, yes, you need to go. But I didn't make that decision for you. You decided once I finally found a place for you to go. And you were still drunk and high. Allow that miracle to keep on working through you. It's nothing I did. All I did was avail myself to be there to help you get to where you to, to start your journey. I take none of the credit for that. You started your own journey. You reached out and said, hey, Dave, can you help me? Nobody will give me a ride. Nobody will make phone calls for me. And yeah, you can't make your own phone calls because you're loaded. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll make the phone calls. But are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. And she was serious. She's still sober today. Her boyfriend, unfortunately, about a month ago, he OD'd. Oh, I tried. He didn't want the help. So she was heartbroken and that's her story, but it's like, and that I've seen that over and over and over, you know, and I said to myself, and I see that in myself, like I said, I went out five times in the first six years. That could have been me. That could have been me. Um, and the shit with the fentanyl that's going on today, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. People yeah, are all yeah. smoking weed. 
Okay. I've heard of people who bought weed and it was laced with fentanyl. I said, you got to be careful. If that's what you want to choose to do, be my guest. I'll see you at your funeral. Or you could, no, if you're lucky, you'll die. What do you mean if I'm lucky or that? I said, because that's what I tell myself. If I go back out there, I'll be lucky if I die. Well, I, uh, why would you wish that on yourself? Because it's better than the misery I'm going to suffer behind getting high and drunk and hurting everybody else that loves and cares for me in recovery, out of recovery, family, whatever, around me in my circle and putting them through that again. How dare I? How selfish can I be? So I'd be lucky if I go back out there to die right away. So that way, that's it. It's done. It's finished. It's finalized. They don't have to go through that misery that I'm going to put them through and myself through. People go, wow, that's, that's, that's tough. Yeah, that's the reality. That's the reality. And it wasn't until my sponsor that last time I came in here and he said, I know you left part of your fourth step out. And he goes, look, I'm going to tell you something. You're not taking this serious. He said, it's life or death. That's how serious this is. He goes, because one day it's going to catch up to you. And you're going to end up dead. Or you're going to end up killing somebody. And you're going to end up in jail for the rest of your life. He goes, and I said, yeah, then you might as well be dead. If I go to jail for the rest of my life, I'd much rather be dead. Because then all your freedoms, all your liberties are taken away from you. That's what's waiting for you. You know, the the, the homelessness, the shit and pissing in your pants. Uh, like I, for me, that's what I did. And I chose that lifestyle, that insidiousness, cunning, baffleness of the disease that switches my thinking around to say, yeah, that's the better way. Uh, also, in that beginner's meeting, I went to, they had a think sign and they had the son of a bitch upside down. So, yeah, like, you know, I'm like, so my dumbass, I go and I turn it right side up. There's an old lady, uh, Marion Cleary, may she rest in peace. I'm going back 30, shit, I'm going back 33 years ago. So she had 32 then, so she'd have like 65 years and she was still alive. She said, turn the sign back upside down. I said, why? She goes, because that's the way you're thinking is. I went, what? You're telling me my thinking's upside down? She goes, yeah, your best thinking got you here. I went, holy shit. So I came for my drinking and my drug, and then I stay for my thinking today. I stay to, to keep clearing my mind and to learn more. You know, I want to learn more. I, I want to help people. Um, I, like I said, I, I went back to my church. And, uh, for me, God is a big thing. For I know a lot of people don't get with it. Good orderly direction, whatever you want. The spirituality got me so far. And, and the feeling good. And yes, I accept that. Where, where it says you gave your will up, mm, I don't believe that. Because God gives me free will. That's what I was taught. So it is about me. It, it's I played a part in my recovery. When the people want to say, no, 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 God did it for you. No, God gives me free will. I chose to go to get recovered. And to continuously stay in recovery and to continuously learn and to continuously work on myself and to continuously avail myself to help others because that's what I believe is going to keep me clean and sober today. So, yes, I do deserve some of the credit, not all of it, because then I don't want to get grandiose and think, yeah, I, I'm the great I am. But I do have to give myself the credit because I never gave myself the credit. That was part of the reason why I drank and drugged. I was always worthless. I got to get rid of that mindset. No, I'm not worthless. No, I do matter. Yes, I am smart enough 
You know, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be sitting here clean and sober. Because there's only so much somebody else can do for you. And the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. If I choose not to do this on a daily basis, you could sit here and talk to me to your bloom in the face. It wouldn't matter because it's going to go in one ear and out the other. That's if it even goes in one ear. Because I, I can just tune you right out and shut you up. Nah, bullshit. A lot of people tell me I'm full of shit. Okay, good. I am. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. You know, uh, turn the news on <laughs> if you think I'm lying. Turn the news on. Uh, go, go down to a battery mission. Go to a soup kitchen. Go to a methadone program and just stand there and observe. And then tell me online. It, it's still out there. It's still prevalent and it's still in me. You know, I only have a daily reprieve today. And, and part of that is my spirituality. And how do I strengthen my spirituality? It's through my connection with God. I have to, that's just for me. I have to talk to God. So I went back into my church and I was far removed from my church. Not that I ever stopped believing. I never had a problem with God. And people go, oh, bullshit. So I said, really? Let me ask you one question. Have you ever drove in a car? Yeah. Have you ever been totally whacked out of your face driving? Yeah. Has ever cop car got behind you and seen that cop car in your rear view mirror? Yeah. I said, what's the first thought that came to your head? Oh, God, please don't let him pull me over. I went to God when I was out there, so why can't I go to God when I, when I get clean and soap? That's just for me. If something else works for you, if it's the universe, it's whatever it is that works for you, keep going to that. Because that's what got you here. You know, if you want to change your mind and switch and do something else, fine. Investigate it first. Like I said, I, I investigated many different things in different religions, different ways. For me, I have to go to meetings. I have to do things like this. I have to share my story. I, I have to listen to other people in recovery. Um, I don't hang out with people who get stoned and get high. You know, uh, I, this one person I hang out with, she likes to smoke weed, and I tell them, mm, that, that's you, that's fine. Just do it away from me, you know? Does it affect her life? No. She's got a good home family life. She goes to church. She's got a kid. It bothers me. The smell bothers me. If it's not bothering you, that's great. I accept that. I'm not going to condemn you for it. You know, if you're trying to get clean and sober and you're still using, try using a little less later on tonight or tomorrow. And then try using a little less the next day and then the next day until you think you're ready to get the help you need and maybe go into a rehab or go to a detox or come to a meeting or jump on a Zoom meeting and then get honest and say, yeah, my name's so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic or an addict. And I need help. Those are the hardest words I have ever said in my life. I need help. Still need that help today. Still to this day, I need that help. I will forever need that help. And this is how I get it, by talking to people like you and by doing what I'm doing. And there's no shame in that, none. The shame is in me thinking the other way. And going back out there. People ask me, do you think you, you, you have a, a, another run in you? Yeah. Well, what about another recovery? I doubt it. Because like I said earlier, if I go back out there, please God, let me die. Because I don't want to go through that misery again, ever again. You know, that's why I say I'm recovered. And people say, oh, people get pissed off with that too. <laughs> it was in the big yeah. book, I think, in the edition. It says to recover from a hopeless state of mind and body. 
if I didn't recover from that, then how am I still clean and sober? Okay, you can recover from it every day, but eventually at one point you gotta, it's gotta be a, fi a finalization because they say we live in 10, 11, and 12. That I continue to, to clean my own house. Uh, I continue to, to, to be a service to others and to seek God for, of my understanding. And that's how, that's supposed to be a maintenance steps. It's not, you got to keep doing steps over and over and over. I hear people say, oh yeah, I'm the sixth time I'm going through the steps. I go, what? Okay, if that's what works, I, I don't understand it. If I thoroughly did my steps, I done them twice. Second time I did them thoroughly, I didn't lie. It's completely 100% honest. You know, and then I live in 10, 11, and 12. Um, if something, do those steps still take precedence in my life? Yes, they do. Because there's certain things that can go happen in life because life happens, shit happens. And I can say, oh, this step applies to that. And then I can apply that step to it. But it's not that I got to do the whole thing all over again. Um, people say, oh, well, that means you're finished. No, I'm not finished. Because 10, 11, and 12 tells me I'm not finished. 12 especially tells me I'm not finished. It says to practice these principles in all my affairs. What do you not understand about that, that term? Practice. How do I practice? I mean, I got to do this thing every day. It, so that tells me that it, there's, there's no end to it. People say that they're on a journey. I said, yeah, where are you going? What's your destination? You know, um, my journey doesn't have one. My, my journey is through recovery and wherever that's going to take me. You know, uh, but back to, to, to the spirituality and the religion thing, I, I just felt the calling, man, that I, because AA is, is geared at, I mean, if you look at the 12 steps, it's God, 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 God. And some people get turned off by that. And I tell them, please don't get turned off by that. It's of your understanding. If you don't like the word God, substitute it. I don't care if it's Muhammad, if it's Allah, whatever. <laughs> substitute a different word for it. Um, for me, it's God. I went back to church. Uh, I, I became the head usher. Then, um, then a few of my friends of mine that are in recovery, they're, they're chaplains. And I said, well, what's this all about? So I became a New York State crisis chaplain last August. Um, I, I know you're, you're in, in the area. Uh, just a couple months ago, they had that big Bronx fire. Yeah. Um, they called chaplains to go do that. And it's okay. a strictly volunteer. You go in to help support, be a moral support to somebody else and pray with them if they want to pray. They call me and ask me to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not of that, their religion, of their faith. If you still want me to be there as a presence, to be a moral support, that's fine. But spiritually, I'm not on <laughs> this the same level as them. I can't do it. So I, I that blew my mind. I'm like, why would, if I'm a Christian chaplain, why do you want me to go talk to a bunch of Muslims? I don't follow the command. How can I help them? Oh, so you do know about it. Yeah, as an interfaith chaplain, I have to know about different religions. I can go and I can empathize with them. I can't sympathize with them. I haven't been through that. Yes, I have been through losses. Hurricane Sandy, I lost everything I own. Did I get drunk? Nope. Um, and and uh, perfect other examples is like I told you the first time I was 14 months sober and my mother passed away. Since then, I've gotten sober. My father passed away, and he died in my arms. Didn't get drunk. Um, that's the understanding I got out of my mother's passing, and through the therapy and the outside help, and the coming to AA and the getting honest. God was there for her. He spared her. That's the way I choose to look at it. 
He spared her the pain and suffering she was going through, just like he spares me the pain and suffering of drinking and drugging. So when my father passed away, I was okay with it. Twin sister Donna, that was a little difficult. Um, but she was suffering more than my mother and father were at the end. I mean, she died at four, almost 50 years old, a month before our 50th birthday. So it's going on eight years. So it is eight years. I was okay with it. She, I, she died. I, I was sitting there on a the bed holding. I was responsible to get her home for hospice care. And I had the hospice people come and set her bed up right by the window. Now, well, she's going to be cold there. I don't worry, we can move it. No, she's not going to be cold. Why do you want to buy the window? I said, because she's going to be home before her son gets home off that bus. I want her to be able to look out that window and see her son come off that bus. I said, because she's not going to make it through the night. And she did. She got to see her son get off that bus. She got to be home with her husband and her kid and me there and her best friend. You know, and um, her best friend's sister was sitting out with her and she said, you guys better get in here. And I, we went into the room and I said, okay, it's time. And her husband's like, what do you mean? He was on all kinds of freaking antidepressants, but I think he was self-medicating because he definitely wasn't taking rest prescribed. He's nodding and shit. I'm like, oh God. So I, I had him sit there by her head and hold her. I held her hand and she looked at me and she said, I'm scared. I said, of what? Go. Everything's taken care of. Go. You want to go? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. She said, bro, I'll never forget it. Are you sure, bro? Yeah, bro. Go. And she closed her eyes and she died. People like that. Now, I was fine for about five minutes after that, and then I went outside and screamed. I think the last I ever screamed, I wanted to punch shit. Because that's how I had to deal with the hurt. Because I lost somebody I loved. I have to feel my feelings today. I have to. Otherwise, I'm going to drink open or drug open them. If I deny myself what I'm feeling, I'm doomed because I'm going right back to where I left off. It's That's just that simple for me today. So if I want to punch a hole in the wall, I punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> I just do. People go, you're nuts. Yeah, I'm nuts. If I was all there, I wouldn't be here. And I, I make a joke out of it. I, I stay humorous with it, too, because humor is a great thing. Don't deny yourself happiness. We lived in misery for so long. Why would you not deny yourself happiness in life? Or being around people that are happy will make you happy. Getting clean and sober is not is not a boring thing, man. It's just, I mean, first of all, you get to save money. Second of all, you get to remember what the hell you did and you have memories, you know. Uh, at first, yeah, it takes some time to, think, to, to get used to, you know. You get used to it. You get used to a new way of life. It's a better way of life. It is for me anyway. And I tell people that. I mean, did, did you really like that way? Did you really like waking up and not remember what you did and getting all on text messages or calls? Oh, you know what you did last night? You made a fool of yourself. And did you like waking up in a hospital with tubes down your throat and having your pump stomach? Did you like having to get a shot of Narcan to bring you back to life? of which I got certified for just recently too. I'm doing everything I can and trying to learn everything I can. And this is what I mean when people say, oh God, you got 28 years. Now I got today and I'm still learning. I want to keep learning how to help people because it keeps changing out there. You know, so I, I, I took an online uh, certification course to get Narcan trained and they sent me free, free Narcan. 
here in, in New York, unfortunately, it's not the, the, the nose cannula one, it's the freaking needle. So I had to get training for that. So I did. I, I became a chaplain so I can help people with spirituality and recovery. I want to combine the two, you know, and, and help you get to where whatever it is you choose to call your higher power. I want to help you get there. That's just for me, you know, and I want to understand it too. Because guess what? One day I may need it. Um, I'm thinking about switching religions. Uh, I, I follow the Bible, you know, and Christianity follows the same Bible I do, and there's a lot less restrictions and rules on it, you know. It makes it a whole lot easier for me to do what I want to do. I'm thinking about doing that and changing that and taking an online course to do that. Um, I just recently went out to California to, to a friend of mine's uh, recovery thing, um, and uh, it was amazing. It, it, it was at a house it, called the Magic House, and, and Pastor Phil was there, and they were all Christians, and I'm like, wow. I went, I got there on a Friday, and my hotel was only like five blocks away, and they said, well, why don't you come to the meeting? I thought they meant like an AA or an NA meeting. No, it was a spirit. It was a, a, like a Bible study thing, but they didn't actually break out the Bible and study. They just had a few questions up on the board because they did a consensus of what people had questions on, and if you had a question, you could raise it, and it was a community thing. Everybody got to share on it just like we do in AA and NA. I'm like, this is great. Just like you do on your meetings. I love your meetings. You know what I mean? It's a, there's no right way or wrong way of doing something for me. You know what I mean? It, it's, you have to be open to all the options. It's so long as you, somebody's going to benefit from it. So I, I did that out there and I've been, been invited to come back. And they're like, you got a lot of wisdom. You got, I said, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the praise. I appreciate it. You know, I can't deny it. Like I said earlier, yeah, I do. I've been around for a long time. I've seen a lot of things. You know, uh, they said, why don't you go get your, your, your KSAC certificate, your certified alcoholism and drug addiction counseling certificate. At 58 years old, I'm going to go to college. 58 years old. My mother graduated at 48 years old. I said, all right, I'm 10 years later, but <laughs> so I want to do that. I'm going to do his online course to, to get. See, my church to get ordained, it's a big deal. And his church, it's not. I'm already a chaplain. He goes, you're already a chaplain. He goes, you already got certain certifications. I said, yes, I do. Um, he goes, take my online course. He goes, you pass the test. He goes, I'll make you a pastor. I went, you what? <laughs> what, pastor Dave? Oh, yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. He goes, and be of service. Come out here, move out here. So I've been in touch with a few people. I'm just waiting on my military... And Hurricane Sandy lost all the paperwork. I lost everything I own, so I lost my paperwork, my DD-214, which is my um, separation paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my discharge separation papers, that otherwise some people know them as. I looked in the, into a community college here. Yeah, I called them up. They said, yeah, bring in your DD-214. We'll let you take the associates course for free. I'm like, what? Awesome. So th that was another thing. I was looking at that, and I got a little, got a little confused because I still get confused today. Like I said, I don't know it all. So I ask questions. They have a certificate program, which is 350 hours, but it's only seven and a half hours a week. I said, okay, so you get 350 hours, 7.5, divided into 350, comes out to 48 weeks. I went, holy shit, that's long. I said, well, why would I do 48 weeks when there's 52 weeks in a year and I can do my associate's degree in a year and a half, which is what, 78 weeks, I think? 
do 30 more weeks or 34 more weeks. Well, I think it was 44 weeks and you got to do 78 to get your associates. I said, so the associates degree also includes that 350 hour certificate in it. So now you get to go take your state exam, you pass your state exam and you get to, you go to work with your KSAC key, your training certificate. Once you put your work hours in, you become a KSAC one, a level one already because you have your associates degree. If you want to get your level two, you got to do your bachelor's degree. So people say, well, what are you, your, uh, your, what's your future look like? It looks like I'm going back to school. You know, I'm a high school dropout. Dropped out at 16 years old. And here I am, X amount of years sober, willing to still learn and still be better. And why? Not that for myself, but to help other people. To me, that's the bottom line on how you stay clean and sober. You help others. Yes, I can, I can take that to an, an extreme too. And I wear myself down by running and doing and then I forget about myself. Can't forget about yourself either. You have to have self-care too. And, and that comes with, with time and the program, the work time, things I must earn. I can't let... Uh, get too caught up in, in service work because you and I were talking earlier and you, you, you either at work or you're doing something for the podcast, you're doing yeah. something for the meetings. I'm all with you. I, I took a little break when I went on that vacation. I said, you know, I'm taking these four days for me. Yeah, but I'm still going to be in service because I'm still going to go to these meetings. I'm going to go to their fundraiser and it's all recovery oriented. So I'm still being of service, David. You don't got to kill yourself and be of service. When I first got sober, that's what they told me, get a service. So my addicted mind is, okay, I'll get a freaking commitment every night of the week. So seven nights a week, I did something at a different meeting. And look how good David's doing, but I didn't look inside, but I look good on the outside. Today, it's the opposite. I have to work on the inside. So that way I can have an outside, you know, there could be an outside life. Um, AA for me means alive again. I've been reborn. A friend of mine doesn't call it her sober date. She calls it her rebirth date. And I said, wow, that's cool. I never heard that. Still learning. She goes, use it if you want. And sometimes I have. I said, well, my rebirth date is. And people go, what do you say? <laughs> you think about it, I've been reborn again. Yeah, I've been given the opportunity, not a, not a second chance. This is my sixth chance. I went out five times. It's like, holy shit. Call it luck. Call it the universe. Call it God's grace. I don't care what you call it. Just do it. You know, that's what I'm about. It's like, I, I got to keep doing this thing, you know. Um, and the way I do it is help others because that's that's where I get my greatest help from, helping other people, seeing where I used to be. Not that I'm, that doesn't make me better. That does not make me better than you at all because I can so quickly go back down to that level. And that's without picking up a drink or a drug. That's mentally, I can put myself there. So I got to watch out mentally too and take care of my mental well-being, take care of my physical well-being, sleep properly. Don't overexert myself, you know, and delve into this thing. Or, or because a lot of people mistake and, well, be of service, be of service, be of service. Well, you got to be of service to yourself before you, it's like the old saying, you got to help yourself before you can help others. Yep. You know, so I, you got to find a happy medium. Whatever works for you works. You know, I work a full-time job and getting ready to go to school. I come on Zoom. Some meetings don't start to 10, 11 o'clock Pacific time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, 
I'm up on meetings 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I got to go to work the next day because yeah. you know why I'm there? Well, where's Dave? The phone's going to ring if I'm not on that meeting. If I don't let them know prior, then I'm not going to make the meeting. My phone's going to ring. Well, where are you? You okay? See, and that's what I mean. My time means nothing. We have today. And that's what you'll find in recovery is people who truly care about you. Yep. So, so talking about people that care about you, let me ask you one last question before we get going is, yep. do you have any advice for people listening and watching? The advice I would give somebody is that you're worth it. Don't think you're not worth it. Uh, and you are loved because we love you. I, I, I felt that I wasn't loved and that I wasn't worth it, but I am so worth it today because in my, with my worth and the love that was given to me, now I get to give it to somebody else and show them that they're worth it and that they're loved and cared for. So you are worth it. Even if you don't believe it, you are, because eventually one day you'll be able to help somebody else. That's what I got for that, brother. That's great. You know, it's, did you have anything else you wanted to add in? That was a great story. Yeah, I, I mean, that you, you're worth it, you know, because that's what was the old saying? Work it, you're worth it. You know, they used to have a, they used to say that at the end of meetings, work it, you're worth it. I never understood. But yeah, I am worth it because I felt worthless, you know, I felt hopeless and yeah. I felt alone. You don't got to be alone. You're not alone. Once you come in here or you log on to a meeting, you're home. This is this becomes your home. We'll invite you in to keep coming back. Like they said to me in the beginning, you'll find your worth, whatever that is. And it'll grow and it'll feel better. And you'll start doing what we do. And you're going to want to do it. Not because you feel like you need to do it. You're going to want to do it. That That's what happened to me. At first, I, I felt like I was, I had to. Well, I did. I had to do this in the beginning. Now I want to do it. I want to help others. First, it was about me. Yeah, it's about me in the beginning. I have to get better in order to help somebody else get better. And I can't. And the only way I help somebody else get better is by being honest and, and telling them what I've been through. And that's yeah. it. I don't have your answer. The answers are in the books. They're in the books. They're in the stars. They're in the universe. They're, they're wherever. They're in your astrological chart. I don't know what they're in for you, but I'll help you find them. You know, so I appreciate you, Jim, man. And any anything I could always do feed here on the meeting, I'm here for you. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. So for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw in here, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, so we're all over the place. I also suggest going to addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll see an approved literature tab, and we have all types of literature available for free. Um, and you can also go to the resources tab there as well. We have all types of resources available. So I hope you enjoyed what you heard and saw today. And until next time.